as we resume our studies in the book of Exodus, our subject for tonight is Moses, man of God. So I want you to turn, please, to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to read some verses in Exodus chapter 3, and then just two or three verses selected from chapter 4. So this is Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Chapter four, verse one. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me 
or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. Verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And finally, verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Amen. I wonder if you have heard the rather famous remark by D.L. Moody, who said that Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody, 40 years learning he was nobody, and 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. And I actually think that gives us a really helpful and accurate grid for Moses' life. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to focus in on that mega transitional stage in Moses' life when he's around the age of 80. And you may not realize this, but it's in that very small restricted time period that the entire book of Exodus plays out with the exception of chapters 1 and 2. And we're going to think specifically about chapter 3 and 4, which are dominated by a lively dialogue between Moses and God as God calls him into his service. Now, we all know that Moses was a very special servant of God. In fact, he played a unique role in God's service. He was the appointed deliverer of God's ancient people. But there's so much instruction and encouragement and challenge in Moses' struggle with God that is actually of such help to ourselves as maybe we wrestle with the implications of God's call upon us today. So here's how we're going to approach our subject. First of all, we're going to say something about Moses' life up to this point. That is the first 80 years of his life. And then secondly, <clears throat> we're going to listen in on the dialogue between Moses and God. We're going to hear Moses' questions and objections and learn how God answers his servant thereby meeting his need. And don't be surprised that we discover that God might just be doing the same for some of our questions and objections and concerns as he calls us to serve him. So, not to 80 in two or three minutes. That's what we're going to do with Moses' life. And it is amazing to think that Moses... The great deliverer. He would not have made it through the first few months of his life. Had it not been for a handful of key women. 
And scripture emphasizes this point. First, we read of the brave resistance of Shipra and Pua, the Israelite midwives, who refused to carry out Pharaoh's murderous policy. Then we read of Jochebed, Moses' mother, who in faith, we are told, Hebrews 11, who in faith hid him for the first three months of his life in defiance of Pharaoh's policy and then placed him in a waterproof basket among the reeds of the Nile, all under the watchful supervision of Moses' quick-thinking sister, Miriam. Then when Pharaoh's daughter saw baby Moses and had compassion on him, Miriam masterminded the best paid childcare arrangement in history. And Moses was raised in the home of Pharaoh safely while remaining under his mother's care and supervision. And we see how Moses' identity as a Hebrew was preserved in his early years. And this is the issue which erupts when Moses, now as an adult, witnesses one of his own people being beaten by an Egyptian. And it was a defining moment for Moses. He chose to throw his lot in with his people. And as the writer to the Hebrews puts it, he chose suffering with the people of God rather than the riches of Egypt. (laughs) However, things did not pan out as Moses expected. And he was forced to flee to Midian, rejected by his own people, and number one on Egypt's most wanted list. But even, even in the ensuing years of obscurity, living as a shepherd in the Midian desert, Moses' sense of identity remained with him. He married Zipporah, and when they had a son, she named him Gershom, which sounds like the Hebrew for a foreigner there. And Moses said on the birth of his son, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And this is where Exodus chapter 2 leaves us. Moses is in Midian, in the back of beyond, still bruised by his rejection from four decades earlier, and he's resigned to living out his days in obscurity, all the while knowing that this is not where he belongs. But he's 80 now, and life is what it is. But Moses' life is about to get a reboot. And the disillusioned 80-year-old is about to learn that his most fruitful years are still in front of him. Unbeknown to Moses, 
the wearisome wilderness was about to become the place of encounter with God, which would change not only his personal destiny, but also that of his nation. God's appearance to Moses in the burning bush is one of the best known stories in the Old Testament. But it also set in motion a lengthy dialogue exchange between Moses and the Lord in which Moses asked God a series of questions as he wrestled with his own unworthiness and as we shall see, his unwillingness to accept his divine assignment. And actually, even after this initial exchange, which we're going to be focusing on tonight, it would take a further encounter with the Lord sometimes later when Moses is in Egypt to actually settle Moses' issues for him. So what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to give you an overview of the exchange that took place between Moses and the Lord at the burning bush. Uh, and I will say in advance, there is a handout on this for those of you who are scribbling. But I just want to give you the grid for where we're going tonight. So... Act 1, because there is a later encounter, but this is the one we're looking at tonight. Moses at the burning bush. The first 10 verses of chapter 3 that we read, they just narrate the encounter that happens. Okay, But then we have the first of Moses' five questions, or five comebacks, five objections to the Lord. You get that in verse 11. And I, I've adopted the outline that Alan Wilson, who'll be coming to us later on in the year, and his book, The Crucible of Leadership, which is a study on Moses. I've nabbed his little headings here because they're really good. The question is that, that Moses throws back to the Lord is, who am I? And God answers it. And then we get Moses' second question. You know, when the Israelites say, what's the name of God who sent you? The, the idea there is, who are you? Who am I? Who are you? God answers it in the verses that follow. Third objection or question. What if they don't believe me? And they say, the Lord didn't appear to you. What about them? The Lord deals with that. Chapter 4, verses 2 to 9. Fourth objection, fourth comeback, pushback. Pardon your servant, you know, but I'm not eloquent. The Lord deals with that. And then the piece de resistance, the final one. Pardon your servant, Lord, send somebody else. What about somebody else? So that's our, our outline. On your handout, I'll take you through the interlude and then the second act with another series of objections. But I want to make uh, some general remarks and offer some application to ourselves. And what I would really love is if we could enter into the reality of this as far as we can, 
But I want us to feel the weight of Moses' struggles with the call of God upon his life. You know, we, we read through this dialogue. It takes you about four minutes. You know, don't think that this encounter with God lasted four minutes. In fact, the rabbinic tradition is that this is played out over a week. Now, how on earth they know that? I, I have no idea, and neither do they. But, you know, one of the things Moses says at one point is, you know, I haven't been eloquent before you started talking to me and since. Well, I mean, you know, unless he's referring to the previous three minutes. You know, so let's feel, let's feel the tussle that is going on deep within Moses as God sets his commission upon him. And as we come to think about who am I? Chapter 3, verse 11. Just before we get to Moses' objection, let me make this observation. And this is, this is foundational to everything. If you miss this, if, if, the, if the weight of this doesn't land, this is just words, Moses stood in the presence of God. Because God appeared in the burning bush, before, Moses, before which Moses stood, the very ground was declared holy. And Moses was told to remove his sandals. All true service for God starts there. Standing in the holy presence of God, recognizing who it is who is speaking to us. No one has ever genuinely gone out for God who has not first stood barefoot in his presence. Don't miss that. Now, who isn't prepared to cut Moses some slack in hearing him ask the holy, sovereign, self-sufficient God, who am I? How else would we have him respond? Surely it's an indication of appropriate humility. It simply reflects how overwhelmed he is at what the Lord has said to him. I think we'll see as the conversation develops that Moses' question has a lot more to do with his reluctance than it does his humility. But even if we take it at face value, surely the lesson for Moses and for us, when we ask, who am I? It's found in God's response. In chapter 3, verse 12. God's answer to Moses' expression of his utter inadequacy is to promise him that he will be with him. 
Moses is focused on himself. And God redirects his focus back to himself. You see, in the final analysis, Moses' question is missing the point. It would never be about who he was. It will only ever be about who is with him. And I think we have there one of the most foundational principles for serving God. It's not about us and what we bring to the party. It depends, it all depends on who's with us. And if God is with us in our service for him, he will accomplish precisely what he wants to accomplish. Isn't it interesting that God gave Moses a sign so that he'd know that it was God who sent him? What's the sign? In chapter 3, verse 12. <laughs> when you've gone and done what I've said. You'll stand here again with the children of Israel. And that makes me smile. You'll get the confirmation. When you've gone and done what I've asked you to do. There will come a day. When you'll stand and you'll look back and you'll say. Yep, God. You did exactly what you said you were going to do through me. But here's the thing. The sign. The confirmation. Lies on the far side of obedience. Second question. Objection. Chapter 3 verse 13. Who are you? Moses' question here led to one of the most important revelations of God in all of Scripture. And you'll understand that I'm only scratching the surface here. The sense of Moses' question is that he's asking God, what should he say to the Israelites if they ask, what revelation of God are you bringing? That's the idea of tell us his name. It's the idea of revelation. And Moses gets more than he bargained for, I imagine. My name is, I am who I am. In Hebrew, Y-H-W-H. We add the vowels in and we pronounce it Yahweh. Scholarly opinion is that that name is very closely related to the verb, I will be. And it's the expressing the idea of God's utter self-sufficiency. Now remember, this revelation of God takes place as God is present in the burning bush, which, though it burns continually, is not consumed. The bush 
is not the source of fuel for the fire. The flame nourishes itself. What a visual aid. This God is utterly self-determining. He's independent. He's inexhaustible. He's active. He's changeless in himself. But God chooses to unpack further for Moses who he is. Verses 15 to 22. He is the God of your fathers. Of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is the God who keeps his promises. He is the God who sees and cares. He is the God who is committed to bringing his people into their inheritance. And he is the God who will defeat their enemies. What do you think is the true dynamic? The engine of faithful and enduring service for God. It's what we find here. A growing understanding of who our God is. A continual exposure to his glory. A standing before the flame. Moses was embarking on a journey. Not simply to become a leader. But to get to know his God better. Our service is sustained through getting to know God better. Remaining fresh in our experience of God. Standing before the flame. Third, what about them? Chapter 4, verse 1. Despite God's fulsome answer to his previous question, what, what's his name? What, who are you? And despite the direct promise that God gave Moses that the elders of Israel will listen to you. Chapter 3, verse 18. Moses was not out of ammo. And I'd say we're not wrong in thinking when we hear this objection. What about them? That the wounds of his rejection four decades earlier hadn't fully healed. What does God say to his servant? Fearing that his call will be questioned and his ministry rejected. God's answer was to equip Moses with three miraculous signs. His staff became a snake. Chapter 4, verse 2 to 5. His hand became leprous. Verse 6 and 7. And some Nile water became blood. Verse, six to, or verse 8 to 9. And I do think we need to be a little bit careful here. And not let our imaginations run away with us. Nowhere is the significance of the signs explained for us. So however we do unpack their significance, let's not miss that they were intended as demonstrations 
of God's power. They were signs and wonders, literally. Verse 8. They would authenticate God's sending of Moses and his presence with him. And I think the great principle is this. Moses, you supply the obedience and I'll provide the evidence. And I don't think we'll be too far off the mark if we see a connection between Moses' hand turning leprous and a lesson about inner corruption. And I also think it's pretty obvious that the Nile water turning to blood carries the subtext of God's coming judgment upon Egypt. But it's the staff turning into a snake that I want to focus on. Chapter 4 verse 2 contains a great question that the Lord asks Moses. What's that in your hand? And the answer was a simple, ordinary, everyday piece of shepherd's equipment. Nothing at all special in itself. But you and I know, because we've read the rest of the story, that Moses' staff, which is later called the staff of God, plays an incredibly significant role in the exercise of his leadership. For it acts as the symbol of divine power and authority. Did you ever consider what a frightening thing God asked Moses to do? After he threw a staff on the ground and it became a snake, God told him to take it by the tail. Now, if you grab a snake by the tail, that means its head is free. Moses had to trust God and the goodness of his intentions if he was to lay hold of that snake's tail. Can I suggest that all of this is full of instruction and challenge for us? First, God isn't worried how special you are and what wonderful talents you possess. A simple, ordinary, everyday life will do. You'll do. And I'll do. Secondly, God wants to infuse our simple, ordinary, everyday life with his power. He wants us to know that we can lay hold of his power in our lives and it will not hurt or harm us. It will transform us. But we are always in safe hands. We can trust God with our lives lived in service for him. Fourth, chapter 4 verse 10 what about this, Lord? And I wonder what you make of Moses' latest contribution about not being much of a talker. 
It's difficult to square what Moses says here with what Stephen said about Moses in Acts 7 verse 22. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. And I love the comment by Alan Wilson in the book that I referred to earlier. I just love this. For someone who had never been eloquent, he demonstrated a remarkable ability to carry on a spirited debate with God. Pharaoh and the Israelites ought to be straightforward after this. But there's absolutely no doubt that Moses had a genuine hang-up about his speaking ability to carry out the task that God had called him to. Many commentators suggest that Moses may have had some form of speech impediment, like a stammer. We're not going to have time to deal with it tonight. But if you read on in the book of Exodus to Act 2, this insecurity around speaking erupts again. Chapter 6, verse 12. Chapter 6, verse 30. Now there's debate around what Moses meant when he said, I'm a man of faltering lips. Because literally that means I'm a man of uncircumcised lips. Whatever the precise nuance of this is, the point is that Moses felt unqualified and inadequate when it came to communicating God's message, whether to his fellow Israelites or to Pharaoh. And we read God's response in chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. It's this. I am the creator God. And it is totally within my purview to fit you precisely For the task that I'm calling you to. I am the one who will help you. And teach you what to say. So let's be honest with ourselves. Are we scared stiff at times? Most of the time. To speak up for God. Do we feel so utterly inadequate. That we just can't open our mouths. Is sharing God's message simply something that we feel we can't do. And is best left to somebody else. If so. We need to hear again what God assured Moses was true. He will help us. Maybe Moses really did lack the ability to speak well. I'd suggest we all lack the ability in ourselves to speak as God would have us. But God reminds Moses, and through Moses ourselves, that he does not call the equipped. He equips the called. Fifth and finally, Chapter 4, verse 13. How about somebody else? Don't you just love that? Suffice to say, Moses is now all out of bullets. However valid any of his previous objections may have been, 
Here's what lay beneath them all. But God's call to service is never a casual invitation or one option among others to be considered. It is a gracious summons. Moses' stubbornness angered the Lord. And the Lord told him in no uncertain terms that he has made full provision for Moses' perceived inadequacies through the provision of Aaron, his brother, who was on his way to meet him. And God repeated the promise that he would provide all that was needed to serve him. And Moses' responsibility was to take hold of his staff and go and get with the task God had given him. And Moses went. It wasn't exactly, here I am, send me. But no longer was it, here I am, send somebody else. And I respect that. An obedient, but nervous, insecure, and hesitant servant is better than no servant at all. And God can deal with the nervousness and insecurity and hesitancy in the process of serving and obeying him. Let Moses be an encouragement to you that God doesn't only use people who are knocking down the door to get serving him. So we've covered a lot of ground tonight. What can we take away with us that will help us in our service for God in light of all our hang-ups and fears and insecurities and downright reluctance? One thing is clear. God listened to Moses. And responded to each one of his objections. On every occasion. Go back over it again folks. On every occasion. God directed Moses away from himself. And simply said. But what about me? No matter whether we're talking about Moses' own needs. Or the needs presented by the task he was being called to. The Lord just offered himself. This is what Alec Mateer says. He did not alter Moses' self-awareness so that he felt confident. He did not suggest the task was easier than it looked. He did not guarantee immediate success. And he did not urge Moses to think positively. He simply offered himself as the, as the accompanying Lord, sufficient in and for all things. Go over God's responses again in your own time, and you'll see that what God offered his servant Moses was his presence, his promises, and his provision. And I've got news for every Christian here tonight. That's precisely what God has for us. As he calls us 
to serve him today. And as all true servants find out, to quote Dr. Helen Roosevelt, he is enough. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.